Last week, Kevin Diaz did an excellent job preaching on justification by faith. And justification by faith is a core gospel issue. It's something that many Christians throughout history, when this sunk in for them, they got saved. <laughs> or they got converted, or they got free. They, they, they experienced the reality of being justified by faith. So, so a couple examples. Martin Luther, a, a Catholic monk who just used to beat himself up and just... just just feel so guilty and condemned when, when this truth of justification by faith sunk in, it radically changed his life and set him free from trying to repay God for his sins. Okay, and we're, by the way, we're coming up on the, the, the 500 year anniversary of the Reformations where the, the reformers, the Protestant believers in, in the 15th century stood up for some very core truths, biblical truths of Christianity. And one of them is that we were justified by faith alone. By faith alone. We're saved by grace alone. Through Christ alone. Uh, scripture alone has the authority. Not the Pope. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. Scripture alone. For the glory of God alone. All right, The, the five solos of, of the Reformation and so this is one of those big things, uh, the justification by faith. And so today we're going to talk about the effects of justification by faith. What does it look like on the life that experiences the reality of being justified by faith? What does it look like? Many of us in life have had moments of relief. Moments when perhaps it was the test results from the doctor and you thought it was cancer or you thought it was some huge thing for you or a family member and you get the test results back and there's there's this just sigh of relief. Uh, maybe it was your test results in school. Some of y'all finished school not too long ago, college not too long ago. You stayed up, you studied, you drank lots of coffee and you worked really hard and you memorized everything you could to pass this test. And you were just hoping that the results would come back good and passing. And you see the results and you pass. And there's this sigh of relief, okay? Some of us have had some trouble with the law. We've had our run-in with the law. And we've, we've stood inside of a courtroom, which is very intimidating. When you stand before a judge and you're, you're guilty and you, you broke the law, even if it's just uh, speeding tickets, Okay, even my wife, who is squeaky clean, has had speeding tickets. All right. Uh, And and it doesn't feel good when you know you're guilty. You broke the law. You're guilty and you're standing before a judge. But when the judge releases you, when he acquits you, when he declares, "Okay, you're free to go. I mean, even if it's like, you know, what what is it? Deferred judification or. You can take those driving classes online and take care of it. All of a sudden, you experience peace with the state because it's taken care of it in some level, okay? The the, the fine has to be paid for. Something has to happen. And our debt as Christians was so much bigger than what we could ever pay. If we were to pay for our debt, it would be eternity in hell. And thank God for Jesus who came and he took our place. 
I had my own run in with the law, B.C., before I came to Christ. Uh, I was 15 years old, driving this 1981 Dodge pickup truck. It was rough looking, had no driver's license, no registration. And I was going 57 miles per hour in a school zone. Okay, that was not good. And I get pulled over. Okay, and I just I I didn't step on it because I knew my old Dodge couldn't outrun a police officer. So I stopped and and he was gracious enough not to take me to jail and, and tow my truck. Uh, but he followed me back home, and he talked to my mom, okay? And I seemed to be, it seemed like I was off the hook, at least for right then, okay? I had no driver's license for him to have a number to key that in with. Uh, and so I just kind of forgot about those those tickets and forgot about that deal in the city of Arlington. So I was 15 years old. You know, uh, two weeks before I um, turned 17, I became a Christian, and I had, um, well, I got my driver's license. I became legal. And I remember just that thinking, like, I wonder if those tickets are still there over in Arlington. I'm in Dallas now. Can they track them over there? And so I remember asking a Dallas police officer, will you look up my name, Keith Wayne Dollar Jr., make sure there's nothing on there. And I had a, police, a Dallas police officer do that. He found nothing. Uh, but then after I had turned 18, something happened. I got pulled over. Uh, it was the weekend right after September 11th, and they were pulling over folks for all kinds of things. And I got pulled over, and they ran my name, and I had some warrants out for my arrest. So this is the only time, <laughs> this is the only time I've ever went to jail, okay? And I was a Christian now. I love Jesus now, all right? My grandmother, I was living with my grandmother just a couple blocks away, and she drove over because they called her or whatever to get the car or whatever. And my grandma's like crying. And she's like, he, he loves God. Or, you know, it was like this emotional moment. And I was like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to tell people about Jesus in jail. Like, and that's what I did. I mean, I just had, I had a really good time for a couple of days and sat my, my tickets off. But I share all that to just communicate the reality that I did. While, while I thought everything was okay with the city of Arlington, I did not have peace with the city of Arlington status before the city of Arlington, I had some warrants that needed to be taken care of. I needed to sit out some time or pay some money. I needed a lawyer. I need something had to happen for that to get cleared. Okay. But once that took place, I had all, I had peace with the city of Arlington and I could move on about my life and not worry about those lingering thousands of dollars of warrants and tickets that I needed to pay off. And as Christians, we have this times a hundred, times a thousand in Christ Jesus. Our great debt has been paid. And we now have peace with God, Romans 5.1 says. We have peace with God because we've been declared righteous or justified by faith. And that's where we're going today. That there are glorious results of being justified by faith in Christ. And Romans 5, 1 through 11 just gives us a nice little list of them. And so we're going to look at some of those. Romans 5, verse 1. Stand up with me as we read God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand 
And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, the, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and hallelujah. You may be seated. This is glorious truth, saints. This should get us excited. When we get this truth right here, we will get the gospel. We will understand what Christ has accomplished for us by his death, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We now have peace with God. Okay? The first effect listed here in Romans 5 of those who've been justified or made right before God is we now have peace with God. Okay? The book of Romans, Paul, in Romans, Paul uses a lot of legal language. Okay, so words like justification, condemnation, words like transgression, uh, words like justice, judgment, judge. Okay, he uses a lot of legal terms, technical legal terms here. And we have been acquitted. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, this has happened for us. This can set you free. When you get this, this can set you free. This can set you free from carrying lingering guilt about your past. Because some of us have some shady past. And some things that, we can, that, the, that the enemy can pull up and remind us of and try to condemn us for. But we're told in Romans 8, 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, our condemnation has been taken upon the body of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took our place. Okay? And now you and I have peace with God. This makes all the difference in our lives. And this makes all the difference when you're on your deathbed breathing your very last breath. You want to know that you have peace with God. And that comes through faith. You can't work for it. I love how Jesus on, on the cross, he's, there's two criminals there beside him. And one of them is blaspheming, cursing God, and, and, and challenging Jesus. And, and, and then the other one, just he fears God and he turns to Jesus in faith. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. 
that criminal had no opportunity to do any good works while he's hanging there on the cross. He couldn't go and give all his money to the poor if he had any. Uh, he couldn't. All he could do in that moment is put trust in Jesus, his only hope. And you know what? Jesus promised him eternal life, paradise, forgiveness. Okay? And, and we are the same way. We, we are helpless. We have no ability to earn righteousness for ourselves when we, when we stand before our holy God. And it's Christ and Christ alone who can justify us. He took our place. And he's our lawyer. He's our advocate, as First John says. He's a good lawyer. He never loses a case because he'll take a guilty person, say, um, Maybe some uh, who's O.J. Simpson. Oh, well, I don't know for sure. I don't know the whole situation, but he just got released. He just got released from jail after eight years in jail. But he'll take a guilty a person who's guilty of the worst criminals of, of the worst crimes. And, and he will acquit them, not because he's an unjust judge or an unjust lawyer, not because he just sweeps it under a rug and, and it tries to hide what was done, but because he took on himself the death penalty. He can do that. He can be, as, as Kevin preached last week, that God can be the just, be just and the justifier of the ungodly because Christ took our place. Amen. And so we're justified by faith. And the effects of that is we have peace with God. This is not a subjective feeling referenced here. This is not something you have merely when you feel like you have it as a Christian. Okay, now that's called the peace of God. Okay, the peace of God that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Letting your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. That's the peace of God. This is an objective reality for the Christian. This is our standing before an, a holy God, a righteous God. Like, like I mentioned earlier, the, my run-ins with the law with the city of Arlington, if I all of a sudden feel like I don't have peace with the city of Arlington, uh, I can know that that's been taken care of. Uh, the, my legal issues with Arlington is taken care of. I can move on about my life. I have peace with the city of Arlington, okay? And, and whether we feel it or not as Christians, we have peace with God because of justification. This is not an ongoing process thing. This is a once in a, in a certain time thing. We have been justified by faith. That happens when you and I put our faith in Jesus. When we become Christians, when we consciously trust Christ Jesus, our Lord, to be our Savior, to rescue us from our sins, He declares us righteous. Now, why does this matter? Why, why, does, why should I make a big deal out of this? Why is it so important in the book of Romans? It's a big deal because it, it changes, it, it sets you free from trying to earn your salvation. It sets you free from being under a religious yoke, trying to measure up to standards that you can never measure up to. Christ has measured up to the standard of the law, and he has fulfilled it by dying in our place, by displaying his love for us. And so we have peace with God. Now, I think that this should lead to us having feelings of peace in our relationship with God. But whether you feel it or not, if you're a Christian, if you put your faith in God, there is the, the animosity, the hostility 
The enmity between you and God is removed. Okay? And so Satan has no uh, legitimate uh, dirt on you, if you will, to, to keep you from this position and status of being justified by faith. Okay, now you say, well, what about Christians who sin and what about that whole deal? Well, that's Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, and we can, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. And the biblical term for that is sanctification, okay? Justification, okay, that, that happens when you become a Christian. And then sanctification is the ongoing process as a Christian. It's, it is a process where, you, you, one, you become sanctified, you become set apart, and you become holy, but then you're being holy in your practice, in your thinking, in your living, in your speaking, and it's a process, okay? I have three kids, and I, I know that their development is a process. And whether they're becoming to, to be looking more and talking more like dad or not, I know they're my children, Okay? They are my children, and I know they're in a process of development, and they have my favor upon their life. And though they may be disobedient and deserve discipline, and though, though at times my children may displease me by the things that they say or do, they're still my children, and I still love them. They have a secure position in the dollar family. Okay, This text in Romans 5 communicates to the saints that you and I have a secure position in God. See, Christians who, who kind of muddy up and mix up this idea of sanctification and justification, they, they can lose their assurance of salvation and, and, and right standing before God if they don't understand the relationship between the two here and understand that justification is a once-time deal. It happened when we put our faith in Jesus. We're justified by faith. Well, then, then Paul has to answer the question, well, what if, what if you know, you've been justified by faith and then you go on sinning that grace may abound? Okay, he has to answer that question because this is such a radical idea that God could just let guilty criminals go. You know, you let a criminal go, you're like, what if he goes back and does what he did before? I mean, there's, it's just, we, we sang about it today, the scandal of grace. It's, it seems scandalous, like you're going to just let this guilty person go? You see, when grace saves us, it changes us and transforms our heart, too. So we don't want to go back to do those old things that we used to do. And if we do, God has us in this sanctification process, which we'll, we'll wrestle out with and flesh out uh, next week more. So one of the effects of justification is we have peace with God. This is good news. Uh, I think it's Isaiah 32 that says the effects of righteousness will be peace. So righteous, the kingdom of God, Romans fourteen seventeen, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, when we have this right standing with God, this relationship here is right. It leads to peace. It leads to joy. And being able to enjoy life in its fullness, Jesus called it the abundant life. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And this should also lead to peace in our relationships. We go from being troublemakers to peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. Okay? Like, your life changes. Who you are changes from the inside out. And it starts with this relationship here getting right. And there's this domino effect. 
instead of being that argumentative, grumpy, angry, critical, negative person that you or I once used to be, you all of a sudden become a positive person, a peaceful person, because you have peace with God. This should mark our lives. This should change the way we live, change the way we think, change how we approach God. Like our time with God. I mean, we, we, we don't have to come in sheepishly like, are you upset with me? We don't have to come in like walking on eggshells like, God, are you going to crush me today? Because I've just been messing up and haven't been reading your word enough or whatever. You don't have to live like that. You can live in peace in your soul, in your heart, because you have that before God in your status, okay? Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We could just like milk chew on this and just spend some time. I could just preach on these two verses here and there's enough here for us here. But we have sustaining grace. Another effect of justification is we have sustaining grace. Not, the grace of God not only saves us, but it, it sustains us. We, we stand in this grace and we have access to this grace. As the book of Hebrews says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may have grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. And so the position we have with God is one of peace. The situation that we have with God, the relationship we have with God is one of peace and one of grace. He sees us with eyes of grace now. He sees us as right in our relationship. There's not animosity between us. We don't have the wrath of God upon us any longer in Christ Jesus. We are there's no condemnation in him. We are forgiven. We're free. We're righteous before him. And we stand in this grace. This should humble the best of saints and give hope to the worst of sinners. The message of grace should humble the best of saints because you don't stand in your own righteousness, Christian. You're, you're not standing because you're mustering up enough willpower to pray and read your Bible enough and and, and, and because you're, you're just a disciplined person, we don't stand in our willpower, in our discipline, in our righteousness, in our intellectual ability. Our, our finances don't prop us up. Riches profit not in the day of wrath. Uh, our, our good reputation, nothing else, everything else is a faulty foundation but Christ alone and His grace alone. We stand in His grace. We stand in His grace. And this will free us up when we get this, when we understand this, when we grasp this. This will free us up from trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. Trying to live the Christian life in our own power. Was it not Jesus who said in John fifteen five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? We're like, yeah. I can do nothing, but I can do this stuff over here, Jesus. When we understand the grace that we stand in, when we grasp that, we're going to grasp that apart from him, we can do nothing. But if we abide in him, grace, as Spurgeon says, it's like sap going from the vine to the branches. 
It's that life being transferred into us, and we bear fruit because we're connected to the vine, the source of life. So we stand in this grace that sustains us. We have access to this grace. We're surrounded by grace, amazing grace. If you like grace uh, and sing about grace a lot, it's appropriate for Christians to sing amazing grace with tears in your eyes and to get excited about the message of grace because it really is amazing. It really is scandalous. It really should make us stand back and be like, wow, that's really crazy that God would take undeserving sinners, forgive them, accept them, love them, give them a secure place eternally with him sustain them, and then do this beautiful work in them by grace and make them into these glorious beings. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said that grace is but glory begun and glory is grace perfected. Grace is but glory begun and, and glory is grace perfected. So we stand in this grace. He saves us by grace. The, the other effect of, the, of justification is we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, we rejoice. So being justified by faith, we have reason for peace, reason for rest, okay? And we have reason for joy in God and, and hope of the glory of God because he has saved us. He is saving us. He will save us. And we look forward to one day being transformed. Paul unpacks this thought a little bit more in Romans 8, uh, 18 through 24 or so. And so this, this idea of, of creation being redeemed and, and the glory that's going to be revealed through us, children of God. And so we rejoice in that. We, uh, even in the face of sufferings, we, we rejoice in the glory of God, in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God. We have grace. We have hope in God. We should be the most positive people on the face of the earth. While CNN and, and Fox News and, and the news stations have lots of negative things to report on that are going on in the world today, we have some really good news and some positive things to celebrate. We can celebrate even in the tragedy, even in the, the brokenness, even in the pain and the, the difficult circumstances of life, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we know that this is not how it's going to be for all eternity. We know that it's not going to stay like this. And, and we don't deny the reality that this world is broken and, and that there's brokenness that has affected our lives and our family. We don't deny that. We don't stick our head in the sand and just ignore that there's nuclear war potential or ignore that there's, uh, there's weather, you know, hurricanes and tornadoes and, and ignore that there's diseases and things that are just, just killing humanity. We don't ignore those things. We should stand against and pray uh, but we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God because we know that this is not it for us. This is not all that we have. If this was all that we have, then we should just live it up right now. Just go do whatever you want, right? This is not it for us. We have, this is not our home ultimately. And so we look forward to the glory that's going to be revealed. Amen. So not only that, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. Now, this is easy to read, and easy to say, and easy to quote when your brother or sister is going through a hard time at work, or a hard time with their family. 
Okay? But to do this requires that we grasp that we've been justified, we have peace with God, we stand in grace, and the effects of that should be this rejoicing. We have hope to look forward to. We look back to what Christ has done. We look forward to what Christ is going to do. He's coming back. It's not going to stay like this. And so in the midst of suffering, we can rejoice. We should rejoice. Paul tells us in another place, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Does joy mark your life? Like that's true in your life? Rejoice always? Do you rejoice always? Or is it just when everything's going good for you? I mean, how about in traffic when you're on your way to work and you're on 635 or, or 75 and it's just red and the cars are not moving? Rejoice always! This, you know, that, it's, it's in those times. Or maybe when, when if you, you got kids and your kids, you know, they, they went to make their own cereal and they dropped the gallon of milk on the ground and they poured out the cereal and then they're, they're tracking it into the rest of the house to tell you that there's a mess in the kitchen. Rejoice in your sufferings. So this word suffering, uh, I, think, I think it is, is Paul is, uh, it's a broad uh, reference here. It's not just like sufferings for Christ. Well, the scripture does speak about that being persecuted and suffering for his name's sake and so on. But in life, we're going to suffer. Jesus said it like this In this world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So be positive, be joyful, be of good cheer. Don't walk around like you've been baptized in pickle juice. And live your life like, woe is me, this just stinks. I mean, even in the most difficult times, you can rejoice. Because there is something that God is doing. Notice the next word there, knowing. There's a perspective there. Knowing that suffering is producing something. Okay? It's, it's painful, but it's purposeful pain. Okay? This is a phrase that, that I've clung on to when my wife and I... Uh, we're having kids. Well, she was having kids. And, and I was trying to encourage her while she's having kids, our kids, our three kids. This is purposeful pain, honey. Those contractions, they hurt. But it, it's, it's pushing baby girl, baby boy closer and closer to delivery. Okay? It's purposeful pain. Don't see the sufferings and the pain and the trial that you experience in this life, whether it's work whether it's finances, whether it's relational, whether it's health issues, whether it's spiritual warfare, whatever the challenge is that you're going through, that it's squashing your soul, and you can relate to Jesus when he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Where you're being squeezed like a bug, and whatever's on the inside just comes out in those moments, right? being squeezed and squashed and it's painful. So when I think about this, I think about a specific time in my life when God was doing so much character for me and shaping in my life. And I was working at Weir's Furniture in a warehouse. And uh, there were some rough guys, not all of them. Though Though the family is Christian, Weir's family is Christian, not everybody in the company was Christian. And uh, there were some there were some tough guys that I had to work with, t- guys that like set me up. And like like one guy had me go go fabric coat a couch and put this protection stuff on him. And he like he like loosened up something. And so and it's like this greasy sofa protection. So I'm pumping it, and it goes shooting into the air, and it comes down all over me. 
And he's just laughing. He's my supervisor. He's my supervisor. And he's just laughing. And, and, and so in those moments, like, I had some opportunity, like, to get mad. You know, I was loading and unloading trucks and warehouses and stuff like that. And, and, and so I could, in those moments, either embrace what God was doing in me in the heat of summer, dirty, sweaty, stinky, trying to get a job done, or I could, I could take myself out of the oven. I'm out of here. I'm quitting this job. I'm going to go look for a job with air condition. A good job a lot, a lot more easy than this, right? And so when, when God has us in the oven, if God has you in the oven somewhere, and you're under pressure, you're under heat, and it's hard, don't be so quick to get out of the oven, all right, ladies, if you like to bake, you know if you take your, your pie or your dish out of the oven before it's finished, it's not going to be ready, right? Okay, don't be so quick to jump out when God turns or allows the heat to be turned up in your life. He's shaping character. He's shaping endurance, character, and then hope. If you want to be a person who lives with hope in the most difficult of circumstances and you give hope to others going through difficult circumstances then you got to go through them yourself because it produces hope in you because you've been through it. You've seen how God came through. You've seen how God shaped you, how he used those hardships in your life to form you into who you are. And so when you see a young brother or sister going through things that seem small, you can, you can testify to them of God's goodness in your life. You know, uh, they say, you know, if you're going to have a testimony, you got to go through a test, right? And you can testify of God's goodness working through that, those circumstances. So God is, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we should, we should have this outlook. We should not be pessimists. When it comes to our view of life, we, we should be very optimistic about what God is doing, not denying the suffering, not des- denying the hardship or the pain, but we should have an outlook that is uh, biblical and positive. Verse 5, it says that we have the love of God poured out into, the, into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay, this hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit. When you become justified by faith, you put your faith in Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 1, 13. When you believed, you were sealed with the Spirit. So you have, Christian, you have the indwelling of the Spirit of God. And you know what he does when he comes and he, and he, he comes into your house? He fills your house with love. He fills your heart with love. He sheds his love abroad in our hearts. I remember December 12, 1998, I was at a youth event, a Christian rap concert, and that's when I became a Christian. And I came in broken, angry, hurt, carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. And in that moment, that evening, tears streamed down my cheeks like rivers. I cried like I never cried before because God was healing the brokenness, the hardness inside of me. And he, was pour, he gave me his Holy Spirit, and he was pouring out his love upon my life like wave upon wave. And the presence of God was so real in that place. I mean, it, it, it changed me. I went from being angry and hard-hearted to being loving 
kind towards people I don't even know. Instead of walking around mad-dogging folks, wanting to fight with folks, I started walking around with a smile and introducing myself to people that I don't even know because the love of God was shed abroad in my heart. Instead of carrying this weight of guilt and, 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 uh, and, and shame, it was like this backpack of bricks was lifted off of me. And I was set free. I was declared righteous. I, was, uh, I stepped in from condemnation to a place of grace and mercy. A place of animosity and hostility and enmity with God to a place of peace with God. A place of feeling rejected and abandoned and an, as an orphan in this life to a place of being loved and accepted by a good, good father. This is the gospel and this is how it has its effects on our lives. It changes everything. It changes how we live, how we work. It changes how we parent. It changes how we relate to one another when we receive this love. If we don't receive this love first from God, we, don't, we won't have it to give out to others. I mean, you can't give somebody something you don't have, right? So you first receive it. You receive what Christ has done for you. You receive the work. And and the Holy Spirit takes the work of Christ and he applies it. He applies the love of God. He fills your heart with the love of God. And he massages it into your heart and to your life to where you're changed from the inside out. He pours his love out into our hearts. And that's why this hope doesn't disappoint us. Because we have a secure place with the Father. We're going to be with him. When we see him, we don't have to be afraid. When we see Christ, when he comes back, we don't have to shrink back in fear of judgment, like walking on eggshells because Christ has taken our condemnation. We are loved by God and we have a place at his table. That changes everything for us. We have assurance of salvation and God's love for us. Verse 6 through 10, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but god shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners christ died for us just let that sink in there was nothing there to earn that love or that grace or that sacrifice in our place there was no merit in us to get this we don't deserve this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? And so the next couple of verses, Paul uses this much more argument. If when we were undeserving, when we were enemies, and there was hostility between us and God, God, not because of us, but because of who he is and his great love, sent Jesus to die for us, and Jesus died for us in his love to rescue us, Since then, therefore, we've been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This should should fuel the assurance of salvation in your heart and in your mind. That, that God is for you, that God loves you, that God has been good to you, and he will be good to you 
for all eternity, he is committed to doing you good. As he says in Romans 8.32, he says, If God did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all freely, graciously, willingly for us, how will he not, through Christ, freely give us all things? So the argument is, God gave the most precious gifts of gift, precious gift to us, namely his son, to die in our place If he didn't hold back his son, why do you think he would stop doing good to you or me? See, we are much more loved than we realize, much more cherished by God than we realize. And we can have this blessed assurance. When we sing that that hymn by Fanny Crosby, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of the Spirit, and washed in His blood. We can sing that with passion because we have that. We have this blessed assurance. God is for us. God is with us. He loves us. And we can rejoice in God. This should mark our worship. Okay? If if you struggle with having praise and worship that's stale and crusty and just, you know, you just, you know, you just, you just, it's more of like listening and entertaining. Like, oh, that's a good song. Good job, worship team. I like that little lick on the guitar. That was cool. If, If you struggle with engaging in worship, then let this gospel truth set your heart ablaze and you can rejoice in God and delight in God. And I tell you what, we're going to keep coming back to this truth in in our worship. It's something we're committed to here, being gospel-centered, being focused on this central truth of the gospel that we have reconciliation with God. We have, as uh, the NLT puts it, we have friendship with God. We have friendship with God. We can now rejoice in this wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Do you see yourself as a friend of God, Saint? Jesus said this in John 15. He said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. And then he goes on, I think it's, uh, what, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. Jesus died for us to bring us into this friendship with God. Okay, that's a profound truth, okay? And I don't think we should take that lightly, and I don't think we should treat God lightly and lax and like, what's up, homie G, like Jesus is my home dog. <laughs> I think we should still have reverence for him, right? But, but, but we can have confidence before him. He doesn't just tolerate us. He doesn't just accept some future version of you. He loves you like you are. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you become not only a child of God, but a friend of God. How should this change our lives? How sh- How should we apply this to our lives? So one is we should be assured that God's love and goodness is towards us. Whether you feel it or not, know that he loves you, that he is good. He will be good to you for all eternity. Know that the trials and the suffering that that we have in this life are not in vain. They are, there's purposeful pain in them. 
None of it has to be wasted and will be wasted. He works it all together for our good. He's committed to that. And then rejoice in God always because of his great salvation. Even if you have everything stripped from you, all your goods, all your health, all your family and friends and relationships, everything stripped from you, you have God and you have his salvation. And so enjoy that new relationship with God. Amen? And uh, if you are not yet in this right relationship with God, experience the benefits or the effects that, that I've been talking about here this morning, and you want to step into that, you might say, well, this has not been a reality in my life. But I want this to be a reality in my life. I want to have peace with God. I want to be able to have joy in, in God and hope in Him and joy in sufferings and trials. And I, I want to have friendship with God. And I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you. I want to help you and point you to Jesus, to putting your faith in Jesus so that you can experience that in its fullness. See, in Jesus, we receive grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. He's full of grace and truth. And he has a lot of that to give out. He's rich in love. He's not shysty with his love and his grace. He has enough of it to give out. Amen. So, Lord, thank you so much for this time and your people together focused in on your word and on who you are and what you've done. And may this gospel truth sink deep within us. May it change us from the inside out, Lord.